Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Hello, I'm Katie, like Chael said. So many new faces. Let me make sure I try to come meet you if I don't know you afterwards. Good to meet you. Happy Daylight Savings Day. Isn't this so fun? I got to be honest, I used to hate daylight savings because you lose an hour of sleep. But as a parent, it's different. It hits different. Somebody back there, yes, because this is what happens. Lately, my kids usually sleep till like 7.30, maybe 7.45. Don't hate me. They're <laughs> really good at sleeping. But they, for the last like month, they've been waking up at like 6.30, and they're just in my room. And the same thing comes out of Robin Eye's mouth every time. Why are you here? It's like, what? Why are you here? What are you doing? It's, it's never like, hey, baby. That's what I say at 7.30. If they're in my room at 6.30, I'm like, what are you doing here? What is going on? Go away. Go back to bed, please. So this morning, our oldest got up, and it was like 7, what, 45? Yes. Maybe she's moving back to whatever hole, 6.30 in the morning hole she was in. I don't know. We'll see. But, man, that was a, that was a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. It was a good Good day. And don't tell me it's going to make up for it and like it's not really. No, I'm believing she woke up later (laughs) and I'm believing it's going to continue. Okay, so don't rain on my parade. I'm just saying that now. I don't want to hear anything from anyone after this. Okay, so yes, like Chael said, we're continuing in our Matthew in in series. Yep, we're going to get that out of the way. In our series in Matthew, and we are on chapter 3. And we're just going to look at the first 12 verses today, and I'm going to read and just go through them all first, and then we'll kind of break down what we're looking at today, okay? So this, is whole pa- uh, this whole passage is about John the Baptist. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. God, I'm just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that your word um, can do things that my word can't and that our words can. And I just pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us through your presence tonight. Pray that we would be open, that we would have open hearts to what you have to say. And I pray that I would say nothing that is not directly from your heart. Just uh, continue to be in communion with us here and as we go tonight. And I pray that you would bless us with new revelation. New revelation tonight, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Okay. 
So first we're going to look at who the heck, I tell my girls not to say that, don't tell them I said it, is John the Baptist. Okay, so when we were, if you were around for our Christmas series, we talked a little bit about these people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were John the Baptist's parents, okay? They were old, they had no kids. Zechariah was a Jewish, Jewish priest, and nearing the, when they were really old, nearing the end of their life, an angel visited Zechariah and said, you're going to have a son. So already we know that John is this like miracle baby, okay? Now, Matthew doesn't actually say much or anything about John's conception, but we do know from the book of Luke some things, some really specific things about John and his life. So we're going to read that real quick. I think I have it up here. We're going to read a little bit about John and what he was meant to do. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 14, it says, He will be, oh, my notes went crazy. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we know from this that John, from his birth, was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is very cool. I mean, that doesn't happen often in, as we see in the Bible, and it's like a special, very special gift, very special gift from God. So he was born filled with the Holy Spirit and had the spirit and power of Elijah. So Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament, if we're not too familiar. He's like kind of one of like like the famous ones, you know, especially to the Jews then. He was like the big guy, like if you had like choose your favorite Old Testament prophet, they'd be like, Elijah, you know what I'm saying? So it was like the dude that everybody loves. So saying that he had the spirit and authority or the spirit and power of Elijah does not mean that Elijah's ghost somehow was in him. Let's be very clear. It means he had the spirit of an Old Testament prophet. He was given the spirit and power that the Old Testament prophets had, especially Elijah, okay? So this is, I mean, from what we know, there was not something like this Old Testament prophet for hundreds of years, from what we know, from what's written and recorded. So this would have been huge. Just the idea of this, just the idea that John could be this kind of prophet was a huge revelation. So there's tons of expectation kind of surrounding him from birth. He was also the cousin of Jesus, but they probably, I mean, this is like, hypothesis, educated guess, they probably didn't see each other a ton growing up. Jesus had spent some time in Egypt, like we find out, it, like he was on vacation, you know, whatever. I don't know if he was seeing the world. I like how I say that. Um, he, he was in Egypt for a while and then came to Nazareth. Nazareth was far from where John would have been living. They probably didn't see each other a ton, even though they were related. Um, so that's just some basis for it. So let's go on. What's with the bugs the weird clothes, and the baptizing, okay? Now, when I used to read about John, I used to be like, I don't know, it's like showing that he's like really humble and he'll like eat a bug because he like, that's all, because all he needs is Jesus, which didn't make sense because like Jesus hadn't died yet. I don't know. It's like, what, what does this mean? I don't know. I was, I was guessing, right? So when I would hear about John when I was young, but really, our writer is including all of these things about John because he was probably closely related to this group of people called the Essenes. And they were this uh, group of Jews that believed that like 
separating themselves from society would bring about like a greater level of holiness, okay? So they would go, they'd live out in the desert, they lived in caves, they would eat what was available to them, wild honey and bugs, and they would wear these camel hair tunics, which actually would, actually would protect them from the elements, protect them from the heat, especially out in the desert. So our writer saying this to us is kind of like, okay, he probably spent some time with these Essenes. Now, the difference here is that they were like, we will be, oh, the baptizing was also like a ritual thing that they would kind of, John would have gotten from them. Sorry. There's a lot of teaching at first. So like, just bear with me here. It's interesting, though. So this is why the writer's telling us this. Kind of say, John was, was related to, he was doing stuff with these people. He was hanging out with these people for a while. However, he did not clearly believe that seclusion was the answer to living a holy life because he had a different call on his life. He knew he had a message to bring to the people of God. He knew he had been given a message from God about the kingdom. So he steps out of seclusion and begins to preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, again, these are, I'm going to just tell you all my preconceived notions about John from like when I was younger and hearing about John the Baptist from like my coloring pages, you know, because that's what I, how I learned the Bible, coloring pages when I was little. And he was always like real dirty looking. His hair was unkempt. And, he, and he, whenever I would hear that he was like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, I would think of those sandwich board people. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. Sandwich board people, repent for the end is nigh, you know, like, you'll all burn in hell, like, you know, terrible things. And, and I kind of was like, is he that dude? Like, maybe a lot, like, maybe crazy eyes, you know? Like, just, you're not quite sure. They're kind of alone on the sidewalk, and you don't, you kind of go around them. You know, like, these, right? So I'm kind of, like, John must have been that crazy dude who's saying, spitting this crazy message that, like, people don't really understand. But really, John started a huge movement. I mean, this was not like he had gotten a couple people's attention. From our writer telling us that people had come from all around to hear what he had to say and hear him preach, I mean, he, he started, scholars think he started a huge movement that lots of people weren't just listening to what he was saying, but were convinced what he was saying was true. And I want to be really clear also, repent for the kingdom is near was not the only thing he said. That was also something I thought. He just went around saying it over and over again, like ringing about, yeah, did I tell you? Repent for the kingdom is near. What does that mean? I don't know, but repent for the kingdom is near, right? But he's actually, it says in other gospels, it kind of talks about things that he would say to other people. And even here when he goes on and is speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he is saying things, he's preaching stuff that Jesus hadn't even started preaching yet, that we know of. You know what I'm saying? He was saying Jesus stuff before Jesus was saying Jesus stuff. He was already preaching on the kingdom and teaching about what the kingdom looks like. I think that's pretty cool. I don't have an inner mor- like moral story there. I just think that's really cool. Okay, so lots of people were baptized. Lots of people were coming, repenting of their sin and confessing to him. Now, the reason that people were kind of reacting, reacting to this news like this is because Israel for a long time had been waiting for the Messiah. They'd been waiting to come save them from rulers. And, I mean, Rome was ruling at the time, but to be honest, these people, I mean, sometimes I feel bad because they're, like, they're just always in exile or in slavery or being, like, oppressed by some sort of, you know, ruler. And they were just like, okay, we need a Messiah, right? Old Testament prophets had told them somebody would come, change everything, save them from their oppressive states, 
And they were waiting for that, but they'd been waiting for a very long time. And so in this time, they had settled down, and they had built homes, and they had found jobs, and they had made lives for themselves. Now, this settling is not wrong. God himself told people, when they, the Jewish people, when they were actually in exile in Babylon, hey, listen, settle down, make homes, like, be a part of the community, pray for the people that you're, like, in exile with and because of, okay? So God didn't actually have any problem with the, like, putting down roots, right? This wasn't a bad thing, but what had happened, what had happened was, I couldn't, yeah. They had fallen asleep. Their vision for the kingdom of heaven had become dormant. And with the settling came a million other missions and goals and desires and fears and ambitions that were outside of the kingdom. These things caused God's people to fall asleep to his plan. So here comes John, and he's saying things that are beginning to shake people awake. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I, I love this. I, there's so much in here that teaches us more and more about the character of God because God does not just swoop in and start raining down fire and getting mad at everybody and yelling at everybody and just being like, y'all are dead now because you were asleep. Too bad. He's really loving and he sends, he sends a messenger. Wake up. Wake up. And it was intense, but it was gentle. I mean, okay, my kids get on the bus. At, the bus comes at 8.30 every morning for school. I do not wait till the bus pulls up outside. I hear those brakes squeak, you know, buses. I look out, and so I, I do not yell up at the stairs, all right, girls, get out of bed. Right? I'm not like, figure it out. <laughs> that, now, don't get me wrong. This metaphor only goes so far. They are seven and eight years old. It will come a time that I'm not responsible for getting them up. But right now, they do not know how to manage their time well. And so I'm teaching them, you know, you kind of get up and you eat your breakfast and you brush your teeth and you know, I feel like it's a Monday morning again because I'm like saying all these things, right? So I'm teaching them. I'm, I'm, I'm waking them up slowly. I'm teaching them how to like pay attention. Okay, at this time of the clock, we got to listen for the bus. The bus is going to be here. Let's get on our shoes. It's almost time. God is such a gentle parent. He's sending a messenger. He's saying, guys, guys, I know you've fallen asleep a little bit, right? You're, you might be excited for a Messiah, but you've just kind of had to survive lately. You've just had to put down roots. And, and I'm just going to send somebody to say, hey, wake up. It's almost time. It's almost time. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. It's probably the most important rabbit trail I will ever go on in my life. And that's probably not the last time I will say that in my life. But God longed for this moment in history more than anyone else. No Jew, no religious leader, no Old Testament prophet, not John himself longed for this moment in history more than God. He had planned this. He was ready for this. He, he's like, okay, Jesus is here. Yes, I am on earth. I am fully human. I am fully divine. We're going to grow up. Right? We think like it's like 30 years later. God's like, it's a blink to him. He's like, all right, all right, all right. And now John's coming. John's got stuff to say. 
I mean, can you imagine just the, the excitement that God is feeling? I think sometimes we need to use our holy imaginations that God gave us to kind of go, yeah, I could see him doing that. I could see him do, be getting really excited about that because, I mean, people might have been excited the Messiah is coming. They had no idea. They had no idea. They thought some dude was going to come in with a sword and take over everything, and they thought that sounded pretty good. But man, they had no idea the level of freedom that Jesus' sacrifice was going to bring. None. The only one who knew was God, and he was like, let's do this. He was pumped, okay? So like any anticipation that the Jews might have been feeling after John is bringing up all of this news, God felt it like times infinity right? To quote my daughter, times infinity. So let's just keep that in our minds. God wanted this more than anyone. So let's look at John's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We have to remember that this is a cause and effect statement. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. There's nothing you can do. It's near. You can't make it not be near. You can't make it be closer than it is. It's near. So what happens now? We repent. So repent. We often associate repentance with being in trouble, doing something wrong, shame, or guilt. I think we all think of different things when we hear the word repent. And I want us to just take a moment right now and take stock of even as I'm saying it, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when we think of repent? You don't have to answer me. This isn't like a class where you can if you want to. But like, just take stock of what that does in you. Are you like, yes, repentance? I mean, if if so, I want to talk to you afterwards. That's a very interesting reaction. (laughs) I've just never heard that one before. Are you like, oh, yes, repentance, I must. Does it make you feel guilty? Does it bring up some shame? Does it bring up certain things? Does it bring up certain topics in your life, certain moments in your life? Do you start to sweat? You know, start to get a little stomach flutters? Like, what happens when you hear the word repent? Repent just means to have a new thought, a new understanding, a new perspective. In this case, it means gaining God's thoughts and God's perspective. So what are our common thoughts? I mean, we have thoughts about our kids and our spouses and our homes, our work, our finances, our vacations, our food, our food, our food, our food. I think about food a lot. Much of it is focused on getting by, surviving, making something of ourselves or our lives, our goals, the dreams we have. It's probably similar to the thoughts of an average Jewish person at the time, an average person in any time of history, right? Parallels all over the place. We just think of what we need. We think of what we don't have. We think of what we have. We think of what we want. And these aren't wrong thoughts. But all these thoughts and these dreams and these desires and this hard work will get us nowhere if we are asleep to the kingdom of God if we are asleep to the nearness of God. So how do we live our lives and do the things that need to be done but stay awake to the kingdom and to the thoughts and perspective of God? See, true repentance isn't just a new thought. 
It's a new thought that evokes an immediate response, confession and change. But new thoughts do not bring change without surrender. See, repentance isn't just knowing of God's thoughts. It's when they become our new thoughts, right? You can't, I can't just know, oh yeah, God might want me to do that. That's not, that's not repentance. It's when his thought becomes my thought. It's allowing God's thoughts to come inside of us. But what if there's no room? We can't take on God's new thoughts if there's no room, if we've got just too many of our own. We have to surrender some of the old. So to give some examples of this, John actually gives us a great example of this. Moving on. Uh, in, uh, I think it's verse something or other. What verse is it? My next one. It's verse something or other. When he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, I think I have it back there. Yeah. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, harsh, but not really, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's talking to these religious leaders that have come out to him. It kind of it seems like John and them have maybe had some conversations before, right? He's like, who told you? I'm pretty sure John told them. I think he's like, you know, when you're like, your kids say some, do something, you're like, I told you, do not get a snack right now, right? That's the thing that comes out of my house, or out of my mouth most in my house. And so he's like, hey, I've already told you. And he's talking to them about the fruit of repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, these religious leaders, they had a lot of authority. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of riches. They had a lot of thoughts that were not God thoughts. And here's the thing. They had the chance. They had the chance to say, I want to surrender what I believe be true and trade that for what I am finding is true. This new truth I'm hearing that the kingdom of heaven is near, and the other things that John was preaching, I want to trade it for that. But they did not want to. So what happens? John's pretty harsh, right? The axe is already ready. It's ready to go. But I mean, that's kind of like an Old Testament prophet. I mean, if you've ever read an Old Testament writings, it's like, geez, it's really, really tough. But I mean, there, there are some things that there's just no gray area about. There are some things that there's no gray area about. The religious leaders didn't want to surrender their beliefs about that they deserved this, that they were on top, that they were the most holy. They didn't want to surrender their authority and their power and their heritage. Oh, we're fine. We came from Abraham. You can't touch me. I come from Abraham, right? Can you imagine if your child said that at school? Telling the teacher, you can't talk to me. My mom's Katie Withrow. I'd be like, you are in so much trouble. <laughs> I will find a new child out of these rocks in the backyard. I will go Jesus on your butt. <laughs> Their belief 
that they were on the top and knew God best cost them everything. It cost them the kingdom. They didn't surrender their minds to God, and therefore they missed it. They continued to stay asleep. Now, it's interesting because another Pharisee we know named Paul, he talks about in Acts 26, he's got this moment when he is, has been arrested and he is on trial and he's talking to King Agrippa and he's kind of giving his case. He's witnessing basically to him. I mean, some people would say he's pleading his case, but Paul's like, oh, I'm a witness to you and I'm going to convert you. It's going to be great. So Paul is telling his story and he's telling the king uh, about this, the moment when he was on his road to Damascus, on his way to do what he did best, persecute Christians, persecute those who were following Jesus, okay? He was a Pharisee. He had a lot of power, a lot of authority. And Jesus met him on the road, blinded him, said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul realized in that moment that everything these people who followed Jesus were talking about was true. He was met with a new thought. And so he says this to the king. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Paul himself showed the fruit of his repentance and called others to do it as well. Paul surrendered his entire life. His livelihood, his notoriety, his power, he gave it all up. He traded it all because, not just because he was like, oh, I got to give something up. It was because he traded his beliefs about who he was and what he deserved. He traded his beliefs about who he thought he was made to be. And God inserted the truth in his mind and he repented. And not only did he do that, but his repentance, we saw the fruit of it. I mean, he's like, he's like the dude, man. He is the reason. I mean, I don't want to say nobody else is the reason, but man, he's a huge reason that Christianity spread the way it did. He traded his wealth and everything, his safety, and he gained a life in the kingdom of God on earth as well as eternally. See, he had been convinced what really held value. So really, what John is saying to the Jews is, wake up, the kingdom of heaven is near. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to believe there's something new for you? So I want to I go back to the story, and some of you have heard like already two installments of this, but I'm going to use it because it's just already in the forefront of our minds, and so it's helpful. But some of you know about what happened between Jen and I, Chael's wife Jen, a couple weeks ago. And I've been processing a little bit, and I think God has something to say more through it. Um, if you don't know, Jen, a couple weeks ago, was really sick, and her and Chael were supposed to go to this conference that they were really looking forward to. And just the night before, the day before, she just got incredibly sick. Aki couldn't move for long periods of time. Like, couldn't even stand for long periods of time. It was really bad. She was in bad shape. And she was worried they wouldn't be able to go. And Chael had told us while we were here. And I, the story you know, basically, is that I felt like God told me to go pray for her. And God um, healed her miraculously that night. 
But the thing I realized is that, I mean, that's, Jen has her own story, and she told a little bit of it last week about that. But that entire day, I had been a mess. That entire day, I, like, cried all day. Some of you might be surprised at that because you don't know me. (laughs) So I had been, like, crying all day and really emotional, and I wasn't really sure why, but I, I knew that God was opening up something in me more some sort of emotional thing. But I I was frustrated. I was frustrated that I was so emotional, and I was frustrated because I didn't know why I was so sad. I didn't know, and I was just like, I was angry. And so I was trying to find reasons, like, why am I so mad? And I'm mad because of this. And I was like making up reasons because I didn't know why I felt the way I felt, but I was just disappointed and discouraged and just so, so dejected and sad, like so sad. So I came to church, and I was like, you know, scheduled to be in the prayer room. We pray before service every time, every Sunday. And I'm in there praying, and I'm just kind of, like, I'm just, I'm just mad about how I'm feeling. And everything in me had just turned inward. And I was just, like, circulating on my own thoughts, right? Like, I, I'm angry, but I shouldn't be angry, and, and I'm ashamed, and now God's mad, and this is why I'm so mad, and, and blah, blah, and God's so mad, and I just did not want to pray. I didn't want to do it. I had nothing in me to pray, and I, I did it anyway, and I just was like, God, I just, I need you to give me joy. I need, I need you to come into whatever's happening here. I didn't even have words for him. I just, I need you to come into whatever's happening here, and I surrendered what I was feeling, and I cried a whole lot more, and then Chael had come in to pray with us, and and he just flippantly, like not flippantly, but off the cuff said, oh, yeah, be praying for Jen because she's really sick. And immediately God was like, you're going to pray for Jen. You're going to go pray for Jen. He did not say, you're, I'm going to heal Jen, right? Sometimes he just says, you got to go pray. And I got to be honest, guys. I didn't immediately feel better. But if I had not taken the time to surrender the literal mess that was going on inside my mind, the things I was believing about myself, the things I was just like so deep in feeling pain and wanting to isolate and wanting to be alone and wanting to be mad at the world. If I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have heard God say that. Now, I'm not saying that Jen wouldn't have been healed then. I hope he would have found another way. You know what I'm saying? It's not about me going there. But I don't think I would have heard his voice if I had not turned my eyes to him and said, my thoughts cannot, they have to be your thoughts. God was waking me up again. God was giving me his perspective once again. And I'll tell you what, by the time I went to their house, prayed, got back here, I, all of my sadness was lifted, all of my discouragement. And God made really clear, I got there and I was like, Jen, how are you feeling about this? She's like, I'm really sad and I'm really discouraged. And I'm like, that sounds really familiar. (laughs) Right? Like God just does weird stuff sometimes. But I had been so inwardly focused that I was not sure what was going on. And I got to be honest, it is not a normal practice for me to be able to do that. It is only recently that I've started practicing, okay, I need to come out of myself a little bit and say, God, I got to surrender my thoughts to you. What are we doing? I need you to replace what I'm thinking with truth. 
because I know, I know some of you will not relate to this, but sometimes I want to be sad. I want to be, the people who know me best are laughing. Sometimes I'm like, I'm sad and I will be sad forever. And I will punish myself because I'm sad. And I will wallow in my sadness. I just, I don't know, I just really like being sad. And so God's like teaching me that I got to give that to him, right? He's like, yes, be sad sometimes. But you got you to gotta connect with me in that. God's always saying, I know it feels like whatever your thoughts are circulating around is the big thing. But I'm always doing a bigger thing. I'm always doing a bigger thing. I'm always doing a better thing. I'm always doing a more important thing to you. Every single time. See, here's the thing. No matter how much we think or work for, think about or work for our desires and our wants and our needs, what we want to see in the world, even if they are so good, they will never compare to what God has. They will never. I mean, you can spend your life being like, I'm going to make all my dreams come true. Have fun. But they will not be as good as what God has for you. 100%. Take it to the bank. That's true. That is absolutely true. They will not be as good as what God has for you. And so I want to know his thoughts about me. I want to know his thoughts about my life. I want to surrender the thoughts I think about myself and about the world, about you guys, about our community, about my kids. Because I want to have God's thoughts about those things. Here's the really, really, really good news. We are not living in John the Baptist's time anymore. I know you know where I'm going with this. We are living in the after effect of the greatest moment in all of history. We are on this side of Jesus' sacrifice for us. He died while we were still sleeping. He died to wake us up. He sacrificed himself so we could not just know the kingdom was coming, but experience it firsthand ourselves. The kingdom is not near anymore. The kingdom is here. And it has not come to full fruition. Why do I know that? Because I'm still crying and sad all the time. But I know, but I know that the kingdom is here more now because of what Jesus has done. I know that I've seen pockets of the kingdom, and not even pockets, I have seen huge movements of the kingdom just in my life. And I'm little compared to the rest of history. But the kingdom is breaking in. I mean, man, if maybe, and maybe John saw some of it, but if he could have seen how close we could be to Jesus now. I mean, he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not fit. We'll talk about this probably next week. I'm not fit to, to touch even Jesus' sandals. It's like we get to have Jesus' spirit inside of us. He gets to be closer than ever. That is incredible to me. That means everything to me. The kingdom of heaven is not near. It is all around. So what are we going to do about it? The effect has not changed. The kingdom is nearer. The kingdom is here, but the effect has not changed. The effect, the command is still repent. So how is God shaking you awake? What thoughts or beliefs is God asking you to surrender so you can take on his knowledge and the sight line of the kingdom? This isn't really about our actions, guy. Changing our actions without repentance is just religion. I've tried it. It works for a while, and then it doesn't. (laughs) It works until it doesn't. 
right? It works until you screw up again. It works until something changes and, change, and it messes everything up. But man, if we let God not just school our behavior, but change and transform our minds, that's when everything changes. That's when everything changes. God wants to renew our minds. Romans 12 says, we should sacrifice ourselves and give us over to the renewing of our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I think we have it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it say then? You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It means we're going to know stuff. We're going to know stuff about what what God is doing. We're going to know his heart. We're going to have his eyes. We're going to see each other and see other people the way he sees them. We're going to know what he's doing, right? We're going to get a bigger glimpse of the kingdom when we let him transform our minds. And so I don't know about you, it may work for a while to school our behavior, but that is not what's going to stick. And I want God to transform my mind. I am tired. Guys, if you learned anything from me, take it from me. There is no greater gift than the transforming of your mind. No greater gift. Here I go. That is God's greatest testimony on my life. The transforming of my mind. I do not know the darkness I would be living in without the transformation of my mind through Jesus Christ. There's just, I cannot explain to you the dark places I've been with Jesus, let alone without him. Praise him, he saves me every time. He saves my mind every time. He transforms my mind every time. And if you even know just a little bit of what that's like, you know what I'm talking about. It is a gift. God wants to give us a kingdom thought about our children. God wants to give us a kingdom thought about our marriages. God wants to give us a kingdom thought about our difficult relationships and our families and our jobs and our callings. God wants to give us a kingdom thoughts about our homes and our finances, but we have to surrender the thoughts we have first. We have to surrender that first. I want to be fully awake to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. And so I want to surrender whatever is not in the sightline of the kingdom. The band can go ahead and come up. We're going to spend some time um, letting God, letting the spirit inform. I can't do this for you. I can't, I can help facilitate this as much as I want to, but I can't put thoughts in your mind. My guess is that the Spirit has started talking to you about some things. But what are thoughts that God wants you to surrender today so he can replace them with new kingdom thoughts? Now, some of these could be, I mean, I'll give you some just examples of mine. Like, I am the only one that is trustworthy enough to speak into my kids' lives. No one loves my kids like I do. That's a thought I have. That's a belief I have or have had in the past. We might think things like, I just, my life would be much better if I could just get out of this marriage. We might think my life would be much better 
if I could just leave my family. We might think thoughts, this world would be much better if I wasn't in it. We might think thoughts like God is not really good. God loves everybody else more than he loves me. We might think I can get away with this addiction and this behavior because nobody knows about it. As long as I keep it secret, it's not hurting anyone. We might think thoughts that I am just, I have a meaningless lot in life. My life is meaningless. My job is meaningless. There's no good that can come from it. We may not think that God is pursuing us or even sees us. We may say, God doesn't hear me when I call. God doesn't speak to me. We might think thoughts that God wants to punish me for things I've done in the past. We might think things I deserve. I deserve God's hatred and his anger. And I'm telling you right now, those are untrue thoughts. And we're not just going to think about them, but I want to spend some time confessing them to one another. Don't get worried. Confession is this other word that is very scary, right? Repentance and confession, whoa. But there's something so powerful about speaking out an untruth. Take it from somebody who knows. Because the more it sits in this echo chamber in our minds, the more it ping-pongs around our minds, the more it gains traction and we believe it to be true. But when we speak out untruth, it's like it loses its power. And suddenly we see things if we let God replace it with God's perspective. We see things in a new way. And I'm just ready to see things the way God sees them. I'm ready to see what God thinks about me fully, right? So spend some time. Mark and Trish are going to sing and be thinking about those thoughts. And if you want to tell, like, a husband or wife next to you or find a friend in the room, and if you don't feel comfortable confessing something to someone that's here, um, I'll be in the prayer team. We'll be up here afterwards, and you can talk to us about that. I would love to... That sounds weird, take confession. Taylor will do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'd love to be somebody that you, can, that you can speak those things to. And we're going to just sit in this, like, what are some false thoughts I have about my life, about myself, about who God is that I need to get rid of so I can get on with the life that God has called me to, right? I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired of of just, like, not getting traction. I don't know about you. I'm tired of the same old thoughts. I'm over it. I'm about to kick them to the curb. And I think that God wants to do some work here today, and I think he's telling us about some things, and he wants to set us free today. He wants to set you free from that. He wants to give you new thoughts. So we're going to do this. We're going to spend some time, and then I'm going to give you some true thoughts to replace these thoughts that we're going to get rid of with, okay? We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.